Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer. G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast, the podcast that's getting you over the game line on everything Australian rugby, well, intermittently at least. Um, joining me tonight, we've got, well, international guest char- uh, star, uh, podcasting guest star, um, is uh, JB from the Egg Chasers, mate. How are you? Mate, I am delighted to be here. By far the best thing about the Autumn Internationals, it's not the rugby, it's the chance to come on Green and Gold. I, I treasure every moment. Well, those chances get fewer and fewer because we basically can't stomach uh, coming on too often and especially interviewing people from the Northern Hemisphere because well, just all hope has been just extinguished gradually over time. Um, it's getting difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we need to reach out to an Italian uh, rugby podcast is what we need to do. Um, but look, we'll, we'll be getting into more banter in just a minute. Um, joining me to back me up and help me in um, in our misery is uh, Jamie Miller. Mate, how are you? Mate, I'm, I'm great. It's always good to be on the fan podcast for the only rugby country that's defeated Ireland in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Wow. It's, it's, it's a big mantle. It's a, it's a heavy mantle. Um, probably well, number, number one. World Cup. Yeah, number one rests heavy on the shoulders. It does indeed. Um, but we'll get to what that means. Look, we've got um, our five burning questions as usual. We'll see how we get through. We're trying to um, kind of blitz through. We've got JB in the middle of his day, so um, we want to probably make the most of his time. Question number one is going to be favourite match so far, Wales versus Australia or Ireland versus New Zealand, knowing JB's uh, Welsh himself. So that'll be interesting to see where he comes out on that one and give us a chance to wang on about those those matches. Number two. What do we expect this weekend? We've got England versus Australia and Wales versus South Africa. Number three, where does this leave the World Cup's favourite mantle? Um, if we haven't answered that already. Uh, number four, the effort against Italy. Was it any better? For, that is for, for, for Australia. And then finally, the Tamua, Foley, Beale, Axis. How's it working? Uh, is it any better than it's been, it's been running so far? So let's get stuck right into it. So, JD, mate, that your favourite match so far? Wales versus Ireland or Ireland New Zealand? I, I I don't think I can say in good conscience that there has been a better match in the history of rugby than Ireland versus New Zealand. I mean, don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved the uh, the Australia game. I, I loved the the endeavour shown by Wales, but I do genuinely think that was the highest standard of rugby union that has ever been played over 80 minutes in Ireland versus New Zealand. I thought it was tremendous. No, it wasn't. It was indeed. So even getting that, what is it, 10-year monkey off your back didn't didn't shave that, that Ireland-New Zealand game? Um, not particularly, no. Because, um, you know, Wales are in a pretty good good place at the moment. And Wales win their games by basically bludgeoning people's death, as you probably, as you probably found out. Um, although I do respect this Australian team, I don't think we see the best of Australia until the pressure's really on in the World Cup. And I'm not that bothered that, uh, you know, Wales after 10 years finally managed to beat Australia by three points. You know, it isn't, uh, it isn't the be all or end all. And I have a feeling that should Wales meet Australia in, uh, uh, in the World Cup in 
like in the knockout stages, um, it's not going to go too well. And and what was it about? So okay, that's cleared it up. Um, I think you, I can see your point there. Largely inconsequential and you know tight win in a pretty dirty game versus yeah. what was one of the most spectacular. I think matches that any of us have seen. What, what really, I mean, what was it about that Ireland New Zealand match in particular that just made it so amazing? Do you know what? It's, it, it's one word, right? Discipline. I, I, I love discipline. So people talk about running rugby. I mean, I, I mean you, uh, you guys down there, and I say you guys down there, I mean, you know, half the world, which is below the uh, equator. Uh, Love you, love you running rugby. You love you super rugby. Uh, and yeah, I think that is infectious over here too. But the thing that I love the most is just men sticking to their roles, sticking to it with discipline. And it was that defensive performance. Defense beats, beats a, beats attack to me every day of the week in terms of what I like to watch. And I thought just watching Ireland work for each other, keep, keep their discipline, know their roles, feel comfortable and taking on New Zealand. It doesn't get better, doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. So, no. JP, what I'm hearing from you is, is when forced to choose between one close match in which zero tries were scored and one close match in which one try was scored, the one with one try was the best match of all time. You really are from the Northern Hemisphere, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Well, look, I always say it's like mackerel fishing. I mean, if you go mackerel fishing and you catch a load of mackerel, it's not really that, that, it's not really that special when you finally catch that fish. Now, if you, if, if, if you spend eight hours in the Gulf of Mexico and bring in one marlin, I'd rather that one marlin than your 20 mackerel any day of the week. Yeah. Oh, look, I, 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 I completely get where you're coming from in terms of... For me, it was Ireland's attention to detail was just... Yeah. It was so fantastic. Um, they're... Just how good they are at that breakdown um, oh, in terms of incredible. being able to... I mean, you know, when you're playing against someone like the All Blacks who... We all know apparently there are no rules at the breakdown. Ireland just absolutely, <laughs> marshaled, absolutely marshaled them. I mean, Jamie, what happened? how did you see it? No, I completely agree. It was the attention to detail, both on attack and defence. Ireland just, the, the number of beautiful last-second clean-outs, crocodile rolls, the discipline from everybody across their forward pack was just astonishing. And, uh, you know, I mean, they really put put New Zealand on the back foot physically and then made New Zealand have to adjust their tactics in the second half and it was just too late. Um, you know, I think New Zealand might see it a bit differently. They'll see the difference between the sides as being a pretty freakish try. I mean, they were still in the match. Um, but it was it was an incredible performance by Ireland. So few errors. Uh, that's really what it came down to. They just didn't let New Zealand into the game at all. Yeah, and I, and I think that was the most amazing thing. I think it was the fact that at the end of that game, you couldn't say that Ireland were lucky. I mean, if anything, on the balance of play, I would say it was very just. And actually, I, I'm trying to remember now, did New Zealand even get close to scoring a try? Was there anything? I couldn't remember a try being disallowed or um, them being held up or anything I think like that. that. Their best chance was when, uh, when I think it was Stockdale tried that chip over Kieran Reed and he charged it down. That ball right. bounced yes. up for him. And if he, if he caught it, he would have scored. Um, yeah, if, if Reed wasn't such a dumb club and such a poor player, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he would have, he would have been fine. Um, so, so JB, in terms of performances, so who really stood out for you in the, in, from, in the Irish? 
Oh, what a question. I mean, I think that is the beauty of the performance. It was just such a team effort. I mean, obviously, you've got to look at people like Omari, you know, the yeah. usual sets and Stockdale. I mean, Stockdale, uh, what, 14 games in, 15, uh, 15th on the list of all-time uh, Irish try scorers now. I mean, that's phenomenal. And you think about it. Think about it. This is like a young man. Uh, you go and try something pretty risky. You know, the, the chip, over, uh, chip over, over the top against the best team maybe that's ever played the game, although maybe they weren't playing like that this weekend. Uh, you chip straight into Kieran Reid, the all-black all, all captain. What do you do next? You try it again. I mean, that is that, that is that is remarkable bravery from a young man. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's not so much the individuals that makes this Island, island team special, because I think if you have to go through them individually, you know, which one, which of those lads would you really want for Australia? Um, you know, you might want some, but basically it's a bit, it's a bit of a coin toss. It's, it's a case that there's such a mature, such a well-rounded team. It, it's, it's about the, it's about the group rather than the individuals for me. Mm. No, indeed, they, they really, really did play the pack. I mean, I thought, you're right. I mean, I remember when Stockdale was here, people were saying, oh, keep an eye out for him. He's a wunderkind. I don't think he really, had his best games or his best series here at all. And then suddenly we saw on the weekend, um, you know, exactly who he could be. I mean, he, he really, really stood up. I, I, I thought, I mean, obviously we're talking about their attention to detail around the breakdown. I mean, it was the whole island board pack. I mean, the locks had fantastic matches oh. as well. But, um, but you're right. The, um, the back row there and who's the, the, the South, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a couple, um, um, you got Stander at eight. Who's the new yeah. South African? Oh, Van, playing... Van der Fleer. Yeah. Van der Fleer is, Van der Fleer is not South African. Just random, so someone yeah. has a name. Yeah, believe yeah. me. I have, thought, I have thought the same thing many a time. Where have they got a South African, a South African yeah. lad from? No, uh, apparently he's, he's born and raised, raised in Ireland. Now, I'm sure if I'm yeah. wrong, people on Twitter will correct me. But no, he is Irish. He's genuinely Irish, just with a South African name. Fair enough, then. Well, so the Irish lad was the classic Irish name. <laughs> um, had an absolute. I mean, he had a belter as well. As, I mean, and that's the first time I've clocked him. Is he has he been ripping it up in for, for provinces? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he has he has a fairness. Now, Ireland, particularly uh, Leinster, just got this whole conveyor belt of lads who get better, uh, who get better and better and better. So you got Dan Levy, you got Sean O'Brien, who suddenly broke his arm, and then you got Van der Fleer, and then behind that you got lads like. Uh, Jack uh, Jack Conan, who, who, who was behind Mieser for the longest time. And these guys just roll off the production line. So, yeah, I mean, they've been really, really good. And the thing is about that lens back row, is it all interchangeable? I mean, they can put out any three and they're going to be absolutely awesome. Ruddock is another one of theirs. Uh, they've just sent Geordie Murphy up to uh, Ulster. He he was one of theirs. So when you look at it, you know, when you look at it at its entirety, they're doing something very well uh, at Leinster, developing back row for Ireland. I think he's just another one of them. And that's not to uh, diminish his achievement in any way, but uh, that's what they're doing there. I no, think exactly. the, the, the other thing that was so impressive was that this was an Ireland side without Connor Murray. And yeah. we, all saw, we all saw in June just ha- he's absolutely the beating heart of that side. And the guy who came in, Kieran Marmy, had an absolutely incredible game. I mean, Ireland is basically playing rugby league with those just repeated forward hit-ups and nice little screen passes in behind. And it, it requires the nine to do a huge amount of running and accurate passing out in front of the yeah. next guy. And he just did it for 65 minutes. He was absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. A real I'm, lesson I'm, for other nines. 
I have liked Kieran, Mar- Kieran Marmion for an awful long time. The problem is with Kieran Marmion is the guy in front of him, uh, Connor Murray, he's not just a rugby player now. He's basically an institution. So if you want if you want his if you want his shirts, it's kind of like Farrell for England. There are people who are the equivalent of him, but they're not the institution that Owen Farrell is. So Kieran Marmion didn't surprise me in the slightest because I've seen him play with Connor. I mean, this is the guy that's won that's won the Pro 14 or Pro 12 as it was then. Uh, and, you know, he's a very, very good player. Very fast too. That's, that's the other thing. Well, look, I mean, th- th- this is, you know, I, I would I would think this is probably cemented Joe Schmidt as the best coach uh, in, in the world um, at, at the moment, hands down. I mean, everyone's been talking about it um, for a while in, in terms of what he and the system have, has created there in Ireland. Here's a question for you, though. So, I switched on um, that match, you know, seeing that Ireland had won and thinking, my God, I'm going to be fascinated to see what they've done differently from example versus in Australia when they were playing Wales just the week before. And look, there's a lot, you know, thinking, well, maybe they did something which was a lot more around, you know, the ball in tight. Maybe they did some more pick and go. Maybe they targeted the transition zone a bit more because the thing that's been hitting me about the Australian play is that it is, as you were saying, Jamie, it's very rugby league. It's, you know, one or two passes out to a second row who just belts it in the middle and then you just look to play the same way off the back of that. And I didn't notice, so maybe one of you two guys who might be seeing a bit more of the detail in, in this, I didn't see that much different out of the style of play that Ireland was using. They were also using the screen passes. They were also using um, like a prop to pull back. Um, they were also basically just like, you know, um, maybe like a slightly longer pass to a, a second row pod every now and again. But the difference just, in my mind, the difference was just the quality of, you know, uh, the whole ensemble play. The, the ball was faster out of the ruck because they had better, they had better ruck ball. Um, the, 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 the runners were coming onto the ball. They were hitting the ball harder. They were hitting it at gaps rather than straight into people. Am I missing something here? Is, is, did you feel that they were doing something really, really different? Or was it just, as you said, uh, their JB, each man doing his job better? Uh, JB? Um, well, primarily, yes. I mean, I think this, this, is, uh, this is a game of basics done well. But there was something that you said earlier which I, which I really enjoyed, and I think there's a, there a, a lot of truth to it, which is I think that they played New Zealand um, not according to the laws of the game, but according to the laws of, of New Zealand, which are two very different things. So, yeah. uh, so like, so like the breakdown. I mean, people lose their mind about about the New Zealand breakdown, right? Right, yourself, because it's like nothing that anyone has ever seen or uh, has has ever officiated. It's it's completely different and in most in most people's case, cases, completely illegal. But if, if you take the whinging out. If you take the whinging out of it and just play them as if they're going, as if they're going to do that, and work out how how you defeat that defeat that strategy, you're gonna uh, 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 you're gonna do, do okay. After that, it was basically one team who basically isn't as adept at attacking as the other. I.e., Ireland are not quite as dangerous as um, as New Zealand going forward. But it again. Come back to it. It was the defence. The Ireland defence was so much better than the New Zealand defence. It gave the it gave the impression of parity between these two teams. No, I think. I can, can I can I just add to that? I, I really want to reinforce what Matt said earlier about the attention to detail. And I think technically there are two things that Ireland are doing that are very interesting. The first one is that 
we've become very accustomed to the last couple of years to teams playing a one three three one forward structure across the pitch. Um, Ireland aren't doing that. They're centralising their forwards a lot and just playing, just bash and crash either way off the nine. And having those two extra guys a bit narrower is enabling them to do that. It, it, it reduces the risk of the carrier getting isolated. If you mm. add that to the speed and the attention to detail and the clean out, it makes all the difference in the world to what Australia does where they just throw it to three guys. You know the middle guy's going to get it. The defensive line knows the middle guy's going to get it. Sure, there might be a pop-on, but nothing much is happening. So that's the first technical thing. The second one is their defensive pattern, which is super interesting, which is they actually fold their nine right into the front defensive line and then use two fullbacks behind instead of a sort of a nine floating and then three guys swinging around, which both Australia and New Zealand use versions of. And that's basically, that's basically a gamble. But it means that at times they can have up to two extra guys in the defensive line and you'll see around about the 55-minute mark, New Zealand notice this, and they start to put in little kicks behind, and the ball just doesn't quite bounce their way, and the kicks aren't quite as good as they should be. But that is the, the weak point there, is that if you, if you only have two guys in the backfield and they're also covering out wide when the ball goes out wide, you've got space in behind. And if New Zealand had realised that earlier, they might have been able to get some points out of it. But it is a gamble. It's not... It's it's a weak point in the armor. Because mm. the other thing, the other thing that Ireland was using, but which Australia again, I'd say Australia uses, but it does seem to be subtly but important, importantly different, is that press defence. I mean, everyone's using it now. Um, but the Irish one, I mean, just its speed from the very beginning of the game to the very end of the game. I think it was up until that that last passage when you know. Um, they were trying not to. They were trying not to give away a penalty and, and give an off, you know, an offside. But for the rest of the match, its, it's pace was was ferocious. But what they didn't seem to be doing was using a shooter. They seemed to press, but press very, very flat. Um, you know, which relied on everybody. I mean, you know, again, again being in harmony. But um, and, and I just it just shut New Zealand down for huge parts of the game. Like you know, it's it's. I mean, the common thing we saw both with South Africa's win this season and then also with with Ireland's win is just you've you've really got to belt them. You you know, and it, and it's always been the case. I mean I think Sharpie said the only time we've ever beat New Zealand we've always just absolutely belted them and you've just got to get up in their faces. And I think but I mean I don't know if I've seen anyone do it as comprehensively as Ireland did. Um for, for such a massive part of the game. How good were those two hits on Brody Italic where in slow mo oh. his his mullet just flopped over and his face looked like Jaws when he's been shot by James Bond. Like, I mean, that hit that, that, hit that Rory Best, it didn't even look that hard until you saw his face in slow-mo and you're like, okay, that's a big hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Physically, physically, they were well up for an island. Oh, and you knew that Retallick, because he was bitching about it afterwards. He, oh. he actually was, he was going up to the ref saying, oh, didn't I get hit in the face there or something like that? And you're like, hang on, aren't you the hard man um, on the pitch? Oh, also, also he's, that, he's six foot six and Rory Best is five eleven, so cry me a river. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna step in here, boys, and uh, just point out, uh, Brody Metallic after that game has gone up in my estimations so so much. I mean, it's easy to hate him because he's from across the Tuscan Strait and all the rest of it. But uh, what what a performance! I mean, he has been, I'd say, over these last few games, probably the outstanding player in world rugby. Or if not, he's up there in like the top five. But he is easy to hate with that with that hair. 
I would agree with that. He, he definitely was the difference between the teams at Twickenham the week before. Those line-out steals were the only thing oh. that kept New Zealand in that game. Yeah, but, but that for me, like, I, I, I just think he's been like that for a good couple of years now. I mean, yeah, me too. He's, 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 he's been their best player. And he's, he's all and he's class. Been, and he's been the best forward in the world. But, and, but I do think that, but I, and that's why I was so shocked to see him rattled in that match because it's just so rare that, you know, it's not him getting rattled usually. And, and when I saw him rattled, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, and that's something that the rest of that all black team would have seen as well because he's, he's absolutely core to it. So, no, I thought it was – anyway, I just – it was less about – me. probably to your point, JB, it's less about taking him down a notch and more about praising the impact that I think the Irish pack was having because when you've rattled Brody Retallick, you've done your job. Um, yeah, and, okay. And, 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 I, and I think they had. All right, so I think we've drilled that um, first question. Um, not a whole lot to talk about the Wales the, the Australia game, to be honest, and so we've probably given it what it deserved. Um but what are we gonna? What should we expect this weekend? Um, oh, J- you can't J- wait. J- JB, where are we here? So, you know, we all thought, okay, this is going to be a rattled England. Um, you know, they've had you know before this, these, um, you know, autumn internationals uh, for you or spring here for us kicked off, and they've gone and almost won it against uh, you know against the New Zealand. Um, what does this mean? I mean, and, and what does it mean to, you know, you've seen how we've been playing. What, what do you think it means this weekend? Well, I mean, there are a few subjects closer to my heart than talking about England in a negative manner. So I, 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 I'm <laughs> getting to this. So what does it mean? Well, let's just have a look at what England have done so, so, so far and where they are. So uh, England have a disappointing summer tour. Somehow winning one game for them feels like a winning tour. That was that was that was their, that was the actual word coming out coming out the camp. Now they've come back to Twickenham where, where, where they are better. They've beaten South Africa, albeit very very narrowly, and then they have this result against uh, against New Zealand when it kind of you know everyone thinks oh, do you know what it wasn't a wasn't a it, it wasn't a bad effort. Facts are they still lost, and in doing so, I think actually that there was a few holes exposed in their game. Now people. In the UK, particularly England fans, lose their mind when I talk about Owen Farrell. But for me, this is the guy that Australia needs to target. Uh, he's he, he's he's hell of a player. I don't think we're, well. I certainly would, uh, would be picking him for England most of the time, not all of the time. But he's got some serious holes, and the English public and the English rugby community in general just are not willing to talk about these holes. So the first thing is just the sheer amount of missed tackles. And it's fascinating because if we look um, at what's been said, Owen Farrell apparently, these are my words, these are the words of others, misses his tackles because A, that's the system, B, because he works harder than everyone else. I kid you not, Owen Farrell is accused of working so hard that he misses more tackles than everyone else, which I think is just astounding. and then apparently there's there's, there's there's this new one, which is it's it's his role to miss tackles, and as long as the outcome is good, it doesn't matter. This is the man that missed eleven tackles la- um, last time he had a tier one game of rugby. Eleven tackles. So I would be targeting him because the reason that he's missing these tackles isn't any of these things. He's missing it because of lack, because of lack of discipline. He's flying out the line and he's trying to make big shots to prove he is. You know, the big man on campus, the leader, so on and so forth. And he's not designed to do it. He can't do it. 
Now, he can tackle, but he, he chooses not to. So that's, a, so that's the first thing. I would target Owen Farrell. Second of all, I think England have played all their cards. And I think this Eddie Jones, this Eddie Jones regime is, and I'm sure that you will agree with this, actually, he is an intense man. And I think three three games in now to the Autumn International, you can find Eddie Jones with um, his new defence coach who escapes me now. What's his name? Uh, oh. Mitchell. Jonathan Mitchell. 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 I mean, you've got these, you've got this pair of psychopaths who are just yeah. hammering the England team over and over again. Now, the Eddie Jones style of play, um, in fact, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story because this, 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 this is fascinating. I was talking to an England player the other day and they were saying that when Eddie Jones first arrived, he just said, look, uh, go out and play. This is a training. So they start playing and they're using all their demi runners and behind lines and all the rest of it. And Eddie Jones both of us goes, boys, look, you're playing rugby league. This is rugby union. And that probably goes somewhere, somewhere, some way to explain why England are playing the way that they are. So if you think about the first uh, 20 against the All Blacks, it's very blunt, very direct, straight in the middle. Think about all the games about South Africa. Very blunt, very direct, straight in the middle until they get space and they move it wide. The problem is, this is absolutely exhausting stuff, which also helps for why England score so many points early doors. So what I'm, what I'm tr- tr- trying to say to you is whether the early English storm, because it, because it, is, because it is coming, and then they will drop off like they always do, and also target Owen, target the channels around Owen Farrell because he will bite, he'll fly up, and he'll miss, he'll miss a ton of tackles. And if they pair him with, pair him with, pair him with Henry Slade, then you're really in business. Okay. Um, Jamie, have you, have you seen much of the England side and where are you on the level of nervousness? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think they were never quite as bad as everyone said they were. They, they had a bit of a lull in form, but they still have the, probably the, deepest or second deepest player reserves in the world. They still have good coaching structures, every resource available to them, and they have a couple of class players, and I think Owen Farrell is one of them. Um, they, I think, you know, it's no secret how to beat them, which is they don't want to play any rugby in their own half, so you keep them down there, and you, you try to force them into errors. You know, you don't play into their hands by trying to play a lot of the game in your own half because you'll make errors and he'll knock them yeah. over. Our game, Jamie, um, let me stop you there. That is our game yeah, plan. Yeah, that is our game plan. Yeah, no, 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 our game plan is, is obviously to do the exact opposite of what makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the point is, is, I think just at the moment, we're a very bad matchup for England. Our, our scrum has fallen off dramatically this year. So is the line-out, um, our physicality, and our direct running has been very, very poor. These are all areas where England excel. And I think we're going to have to need some. We're going to need something really, truly special to beat them on Saturday. But, but the, the other thing I noticed about them, which is was was almost quite all black light, and the last time we played and lost against them, time and time and time again, was was that capability to turn a mistake into points. Um, you know that what they could do from basically you know from turnover ball or from a. Uh, you know, in, in any in any form, um, with them to just to punish you very very quickly, and um, and the amount of mistakes that we're making, the amount of turnover ball that we're still giving away, is just going to give an England, you know, that many opportunities. Um, and if with a with a rickety line out, we, you know, it's, it's only been like that for about I don't know seven eight years now. Um, you know, with a rickety line out, I think it's just giving yeah, it's just going to give that England pack so much opportunity. The scrums, I've got question marks over. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think we're getting um, dudded in some of those. Um, 
I, I thought against the Italians uh, on the week on the weekend it was it was uh, I don't know but there was some, there was some I thought there were some pretty bizarre calls but whichever way you look at it we're giving we're giving penalties there and uh, the line out is an absolute shambles it's I don't know it's it's hard to see I mean. JB, I know you like to trash talk the problems, but surely if you're going to be putting your house on somebody with this match, you'd have to be betting on the English. Um, well, I mean, I hope the English win, of course, because it's great because it's great for downloads. But um, <laughs> aside from aside aside from aside from that, uh, yeah, I, I, the answer is I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because Eddie Jones is so one, one dimensional. I think if his players aren't available. And the players play the way that he wants. This team does implode, and there's only so much, so so much of the way that way that way, way that the players can bear. I think you'll do all right. Whether you'll win or not, I don't know. But yeah, I think it's going to be tight. No, I'm I'm going to say it. I actually think that Australia will win this. Oh right, okay. Are you sneaky feeling? Are you drunk? <laughs> I, 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 I just have a feeling. I, I can't tell you why. I that just had a feeling. That, that wasn't a no, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's mid-morning on a Tuesday, so of course he's going. Now, um, of course. Now, okay, so we're all this, this is all good chat, but the, the thing that's most important and anything that anyone can obsess over at the moment is, so where does this leave the World Cup favourites? Uh, can we say, is, is, it, is it New Zealand? Uh, or have we, has this... Rocky patch they've had this year, and the fact that um, you know Ireland have only lost one match, and that's against um, you know a quite amazing uh, Southern Hemisphere team, um, mean that, that that they've actually taken that mantle. Um, Steve Hansen's very ha- happy to give it up. Um, I'll, I'll go to you first on this one, Jamie. Who's who, who's the favourite for the World Cup? Uh, well, I mean. I think everything depends on what happens in the next couple of weeks because the messages coming out of New Zealand show that their their usual trick for self-flagellation for one bad performance is is right up there. We've seen it in the past. We saw it in 2003. We saw it in 2007. And in the New Zealand Herald today, they're calling for Kieran Reid to be dropped. So yeah. um, I think the guy who is much more likely to carry the can for this is Liam Squire, who's had just an awful November series. I mean, just been shown up again and again, although he is a quality player. But if they decide, okay, we're going to change our captain, um, Damien McKenzie at 15 is a mistake, Bowden Barrett at 10 is a mistake, two attacking. I mean, that, all of that is possible. If they do all of those things, they can't put it back together. That's just that's just all wrong, you know. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I think New Zealand have every chance. I mean, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the most consistent performers at that level. They have the most class players. There's no reason not to think that they're not the number one. I mean, you know, short of one 80-minute TMO call, uh, Australia would have beaten Ireland in that series in June. So, you know, it's pretty hard to say that outside of Dublin, Ireland are the, are the favourites. JB? Yeah, that's interesting. I, to me, it breaks down into two parts this. So, first part is, undoubtedly, New Zealand is still the favourites. Because even if maybe Kieran Reid's getting older, I tend to agree with that. I, I tend to think Ken Reid might, might might have lost a step. He's certainly not playing was uh, four years ago. But sure. even with all even with all that, um, you know they have experience of winning big games, and that can't really be quantified. 
that can't really be quantified. Now, the second part of this is uh, the, the, the world is polarizing. I'm not talking about Trump here. What I'm saying is you've got two, uh, you've got two teams who are far and away the best in the world. That's Ireland and New Zealand. But everybody else is slowly catching up. If you think about like 12 months ago or, you know, 18 months ago, you had England in turmoil. You had uh, Wales trying to reinvent themselves. The Scots were slowly getting better, but they weren't there. South Africa were an absolute joke. Uh, Australia have, have got their own struggles. Well, I'd argue that all those teams are substantially better now. Um, uh, Scotland are better. Uh, South Africa are immeasurably better than the, the than they were. England seems seems have stabilised. So you've got this this group of five, this gang of five, who I consider consider like a second tier, rapidly catching up with the first two. So yes, it is New Zealand, but come the World Cup, I don't think we've ever had such such a competitive World Cup ever. Oh, sorry, and just to add to that, France look pretty um, uh, look pretty decent, and Argentina look like like, like they can score from anywhere. Well, no, yeah, Argentina on their day, yeah, for sure. They, they, they seem, to be, seem to be turning the corner. Look, I, I, I would agree with all of that analysis, except for at least one team, which is probably Australia, actually, whether they've got better or not. Um, and that probably takes me on. So, um, unless you've got your foreman um, waving at you, JB, telling you to get off your smoker, I'll, we'll, we'll keep rolling. Are you, you good for another five? <laughs> yes, absolutely, mate. Cool. Um, so, look. Our question here was, look, well, first of all, did you see Australia Italy? I did not, I'm afraid to say. Well, okay, so, but, well, probably, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Jamie and I can, can wang on about this a little bit more and you can, um, throw some colour in. Um, but, so, I guess my question here was, like, it's a bit of a loaded question, Jamie, but I, I mentioned it in your thoughts, um, was that against Italy? Yep, it was a win, and we actually scored four tries. Was was that any better than uh, the effort against Wales? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I, I was very, very surprised to see all the doom and gloom uh, from the line after the game. I mean, this was a, a game against Italy away from home. They scored one, one try off an intercept. Uh, they scored another try off an intercept that got ruled out. But other than that, never looked like scoring. Um, we scored four tries, um, and we showed a lot of patience in both attack and defence, generally speaking, which was absent against Wales. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was it was a good performance, actually. I'm, I'm, I was really surprised. What is your idea? Well, so, yes, I disagree. So... Um, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a podcast if not. If we all agree, it gets boring. Exactly. No, look, my takeaway there was I think, uh, yeah, we got a better result, but I think that's just we're, we're paying a different team. You looked at the Six Nations, um, England put 46 points on Italy and Scotland put, oh, sorry, I think, no, and Ireland put 56 points on them. So the fact that we put 24, um, you know, giving some, you know, Italy has been in absolute, you know, disarray. And so, I, I think the, you know, I think you have to put that, you have to put that in context. Um, whereas, and then I, and like you, to your point, I think they, they scored one, they could easily have scored two. But I think it was just the underlying play put the score on one side for a minute. Now look, the, 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 the bit I was just going to say was just that the underlying play, to me, it looked, I couldn't see it any different. And the, the skill set at the, at the set piece, um, we still managed to get disrupted and, you know, and that whole attacking structure, you know, talk me through that, which seems to be, 
you know, run, diag- you know, basically run across field at the sideline. Um, it's, it's, it seems to have crept into our play, and I don't understand where it's come from or what it's looking to achieve. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still suffering from the overstructure complex. Um, I mean, this year, to their credit, the Australian coaching team has really tried to diversify its attack, and I think they, they haven't got enough credit for that. But it's still, the players still look way too overstructured, and they just look like they're setting up into the same three forward pods and the same screen passes with the same backs and the same spots. And other teams are good enough to read that. All of that said, we scored four tries and one or two of them were actually real peaches as well. So, you know, I mean, and we played with 14 men for a while and didn't concede a point. So that's pretty good as well. Don't you reckon? I mean, can't we have some optimism? No, no, we can't. Um, So... uh, We've had to um, let JB go there. I think he actually, I think his foreman did actually come and get him, as we, I think we heard there. Um, but um, thanks to JB for coming on and sparing his time during his work there. Eddie is a demanding taskmaster, you know. He's, he's, he's reaching deep, you know. He is indeed. So um, always good to have him on. He's, he's great fun. Um, but that probably takes us then. Let's drink into a little bit. Our, our fifth question here was around um, the Tamua Foley Beal setup. Uh, so. Jamie, take us through that then, with, with, uh, your, with your optimist glasses on. Yeah, no, no, let's, let's just go back to the realist glasses. Look, honestly, I'm not sure what the best combination there is, but uh, Kirtley is not a 10 and Foley is not a 12. And I think everybody is aware of this except for the coaching staff, and yet we've seen a whole string of tests this year where they've both played in those positions. Um, I think that at least narrows the list of options down, but... You know, I think it's, there's something more that's wrong with the team than just those guys. Like, they're all three of them are talented footballers. It's the way everything is coming together. It's the way the whole parts of the puzzle are coming together. And I think JB put his put his finger right on it when he said that, you know, there are some Irish players who are playing out of their skins right now in that system. But, but the talent of Schmidt is making the team be so much more than the sum of its parts. And Australia is so much less than the sum of its parts. And I'm just not sure that even if we get that equation right at 10 and 12, it, it doesn't matter if the 15 aren't all moving in the same direction. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, look, I, I agree. There's something that, considering that these combinations, and there'll be people who'll be disagreeing with me, but look, you know, you, you, so you've got the Foley, Beal, Falau, you know, triangle, which basically powered the, the Targ backline in that 2014 um, win. Um, whenever you know, uh, you know, it, it did the same thing for the World Cup, that World Cup run, which you know did so well, and we just talked. Everyone talked about it. It was the understanding between them, and whatever is going on now, whatever this system is, and like I say, I think it's just crept in this year. But the whole point of Foley was, um, you know, he had his limitations, but he could run straight and he could fix some inside defenders, give Beal a little bit of space, and then you'd have Falau coming off a line. That's all just gone now. I, and, yeah. And, and, and we, you watched on the weekend as we just went, you know, further and further sideways. And, you know, Falau's rarely coming in on a good angle. Um, people getting bundled into touch, not knowing what to do. It's just there's something really, really wrong with the way that they're thinking. Um, I got told an anecdote today from somebody fairly well-connected who reckons he had a conversation with um, Bernie Larkin. Uh, after the game in Japan, and 
uh, you know, allegedly um, in this conversation, uh, Bernie's point was, well, what was different in Salter is that we basically told them what to do for the rest of the time. And here's the thing that I just didn't get, but this is what was related to me, was that unfortunately we don't have anyone out there with a rugby brain to make decisions on the field. But what we're trying to do is, you know, devolve that responsibility to them so they learn a way through and they learn a way to do it. And hence we're seeing this aimless stuff. If that's true, and if that's resulting in what we're watching, I mean, my God, how much longer do you let that that experiment go on, let alone that it doesn't make sense. If you're sat there going, I don't think we've got anyone out there with a rugby brain, that you go back to Eddie Jones 101 and you tell them what to do and you make it really, really simple. Um, yeah. I'm just I'm just super confused at, at the it whole thing. It, it doesn't make any sense for guys who, as you say, have been playing together like 25 times a year for the last five years in the yeah. same positions. And you're right, Foley isn't squaring up. Beal, we see when he's at 10, he tries too hard. You know, he suffers from a bit of what uh, Quade Cooper used to suffer from. We're trying to do it all in the island series. Ever since he came down from that kickoff, he's real and, and got the yellow card. He's looked out of sorts and he looks slow. There's been a, not just on the weekend when he had a 10-metre head start on an 80-metre run but, and got mowed down over 60, but there's been a number of times over the last 12 months where he's been taken in. And, you know, we've just given him another four-year contract or something, which is just crazy. I mean, it's clear that his best days are behind him. He's still very dangerous and very useful, but his best days are behind him. And that access isn't working. Um, at least, I thought one big positive from the weekend was having Adam Ashley Cooper back. He was absolutely incredible. I mean, just a complete class act in everything that he did on the day. Um, and I think that's probably one piece of the puzzle that Checker is very pleased be able to put in place. No, I'll give you that. I think he, I completely agree with you on the uh, impact that he made. Also, good to see, look, he's also got his frailties, but Samu Karebi um, was um, making some real busts and um, kind of getting back to some rampaging form there. Um, Absolutely. And can, can we also mention Isaac Rodder? Um, yes. I mean, that, that was a I mean, his work rate in the first half was superhuman. I mean, he was just absolutely everywhere. And then in the second half, he single-handedly took five line-out steals, which is partly on Italy for throwing it to the same place all the time. But, I mean, I I think that might be the single best defensive line-out performance that we've seen in probably 10 years from all of us. It's just yeah. single-handedly made it impossible for Italy to come back into the game. I mean, just an incredible performance from him. Yeah, no, he's really starting to... Um Depending who he's playing, but he's really starting to bend the line as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, and his carries and and that that attacking system that they're using puts a lot of emphasis on the tight five. They're doing a lot of ball carrying. Um, too much. But, too much. Yeah. A, a lot of ball carrying um, and defence in the middle of the park. Um, I mean, I I wanted to say I, I obviously couldn't come onto the podcast post the Wales one, but um, um, Alan Alatoa. I mean. His work rate um, in that Welsh test was, at, you know, in defence, was absolutely unbelievable. And I, and I think a, a bunch of those um, props um, and front rowers are really, really working their asses off um, in, in around the park with their, with their carries. Uh, this, you know, this whole structure seems to really, really depend on them. And so, you know, as much as you be kind of bag that, bag them and wonder, you know, how where all the structure supposed to be taking them. I mean, I thought you made that point. And I guess it was my, and this is where I was trying to get at, which is that 
the island attacking structure looks so, so similar, except, well, in two things. One is with the skill set or the way the skills were applied and the detail and the way it was applied. And also just, as you were saying, just ever so slightly narrower, which just meant you just didn't, like you say, get those, get those people um, being stranded on their own, and which obviously makes clean out easier and putting the balls faster, and it just becomes a virtuous circle. Um, yeah. So I really, I really feel for a lot of our forward pods because they just keep getting, um, you know, stretched and caught, um, and uh, which must be really soul crushing. I think the, the big difference, and it's so subtle, which is, yeah, if you look at those two structures, they're not entirely different. There's a few tactical things, but whatever. The big difference is that when Ireland are carting the ball up, there's there's doubt. Um, there's enough guys there to actually create doubt. And when the Australian pods are taking it up, it's always a pot of three. Uh, they don't have a 12 like Bundiaki who can come in off the shoulder and do another clear out if they're going to go a little wider. They don't have that ability to do a double tip on. Like they, they just, it just doesn't exist. Like, like the opposition doesn't have doubt. They know they have to deal with one of two situations. Either the guy in the middle's carting it up or he's popping it off to the third guy. That's it. That's that, Or it's out the back. Three options. Yeah. But it's only one of those three options. There is no option four. And I think when we saw Ireland do it, you're right, it's a virtuous circle, that because there's more options, because there's more doubt, that it means they're able to get just a bit more over the advantage line, which makes the clean out easier, which makes the next phase easier. It's these tiny margins, but at the moment... You know, I watched the Italy game before the Ireland game that looked like different sports. I mean, we're so far behind that right now. Yeah. Well, no, and, and yeah, and um, they get that further on, but because they're a bit narrower, they've got support, and you can continue it. You know, you can only expect the you know the, the, the trailing tight five to get around so get around so quickly. Um, and when you've got small you know small backs and backs that just aren't good at cleaning out. Um, then you just get stuck, um, you know, uh, which we do, uh, which anyway, um, you know, uh, find quite amazing that that's, that's, um, that's what we keep, um, keep chasing that. Um, okay, mate. Well, look, I think we've kind of, we've nailed this one. I mean, so uh, between us all, apart from JB, um, <laughs> I'd love to go with JB's optimism, um, against England, but, uh, you know, this is kind of going towards, I think Hugh actually even forecast this one that it was going to be two, um, you know, two losses uh, out of three. And uh, any reason why not to expect that to be the case? No. Um, set piece, Owen Farrell, that's it. That's going to be the game right there. Physicality and those three things. I think I know what I was, by about 15. Yeah. I know what I was going to say. I was just going to take one step back. Just in that point we were making about um, attacking defensive lines, um, it just, it seems that in world rugby, everyone's given up on the idea of finding space in and around the ruck. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and there doesn't seem to be anyone who's challenging that at the moment. Um, it probably needs people better connected and smarter than us to kind of figure out, figure out why, but why it is that, and which then just leaves you with, you know, it is starting to look a lot more like rugby league, the way we've just got waves of people running into each other and having to use draw behinds. Um, is, is someone going to pick up on this and re- realise there's got to yeah. be opportunity elsewhere? I think it's a mistake. Um, I think you're spot on. Um, one of the biggest problems in the game at the moment is where is the last feat? And I think mm. we saw in that last minute of the England-New Zealand game how problematic that's become. But what you want to do when you're trying to milk penalties is you want to give the referee a picture where they've got to make a decision 
And if you target that A defender and you actually hit that A or B defender, that is the easiest defender for the referee to see whether they're on side or not. And I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. I'd love to see teams start to snipe more around the fringes and make the linesman have to make a call about whether that guy's on side or not. Because I think that's the way you really push back that press defense is you don't go around it, which takes risks. You don't chip over the top, which involves giving up possession. Those are both okay strategies. But if you actually strike it right at the core at the A and B defender, that's the way to push the whole line back every minute for the next 60 minutes. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'll probably tweet somebody who knows more, knows a lot more than, than, than I do about um, the way people are looking at this at the moment. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only guessing it's just the way the game's being refed, um, which is probably stopping people doing it. So, like, to your point, that last feet rule has just been forgotten. It's just yeah, nuts. It's just, um, it's it's just it's, ridiculous. It's, it's become, it's become, I can't believe no one's talking about it. And, um, and I wonder if there's also, I guess, the way people are reffing, uh, you know, reffing the tackle. Apparently, you know, it looks to me like people don't worry about how, how far off your feet you are anymore either and whether you're resting with somebody for a while there. That was something people really worried about. So maybe, you know, if you're going to keep the ball in contact, maybe it's just too likely that you're going to give away possession, um, you know, with, with, you know, with a tackler over the top of you. Um, you know, maybe that's what it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really surprised that everyone seems to be given, have given in to the fact that you've got to take it to midfield uh, and no one else is doing anything around the rock. Um, all right, mate. Look, um, good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you too. It's been a while. Um, yeah, I'm glad your meeting room didn't get disturbed. Um, and, um, and well, thanks for everybody uh, tuning in. And, uh, well, you never know. Um, if we have a win, we might be able to get Reg back. Um, I think <laughs> this is one of his longest sulks, though. I think I think we've got to say out of um, out of the sulks we've had. I think he seems to have retreated to if it's not if it's not um, Brisbane-based um, NRC, he seems to have kind of given up on rugby a little bit. Maybe we can we can tempt him back. Um, but um, anyway, hopefully we um, get a bit of positive news to talk about next week. And if we do, we'll um, see you then. Heels off the top. Larkham, Herbert smashes through the middle, Gregan, drop goal from Larkham, up it goes, could you believe it, Larkham has to be at De Beer.